it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week on Beer is a Conversation, we talk hops. But not hops in Tasmania, Victoria or Yakima or any of the places that we normally talk hops. We're talking about hops in Brisbane. As we speak with Andrew Carson from Hilltop Hops. The conventional narrative is that hops can't be grown in places like Brisbane. But as you'll hear from Andrew, they can't be grown commercially, but they can be grown. The question is, why? And that's what we delve into in this conversation, as we hear Andrew's story of finding a way to get involved in an industry that he loves, doing something that he enjoys, in what we might term an ambitious hobby. It's a fun chat, and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Andrew Carson, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm very well. Unfortunately, we're not recording this live from the Hilltop Hop Gardens. No, that's true. We've had a couple of false starts and had to go by phone. <laughs> that's okay. It was nice to just see it. But there's a lot that we can talk about. So maybe just start telling me a little bit about you and your background and how you got into growing hops. So I grew up in uh, Brisbane, out in the, uh, the Redlands. I guess I've always liked beer. Like I still sort of remember um, certain moments in my life, like um, I grew up with my dad drinking uh, 4X and Brisbane Bitter and dad giving me a sip of Brisbane Bitter when I was a kid and, and me saying, Dad, that tastes terrible, and him saying, yes, son, but it makes you feel good. <laughs> and um, As I was going to uni, we started discovering new beers like um, Tui's, like Tui's Old at the RE was like, wow, this is – Really good, and um, the RE being the Royal Exchange Hotel uh, in Tuong, a very famous Brisbane hotel. Yeah, that's the one. And then um, in the nineties, um, I went over and worked in pubs around London for a while, and so fell in love with the car scales, just the hand drawn stuff over there. And so yeah, I've always kind of been interested in um, beer and craft beer, but it was more recently with the craft beer revolution going on around the world that. Um, uh, I've been living in Cairns for about 15 years and moved back to Brisbane and all of my mates, my crew from the old days at uni were living around the inner city and going to all the bars. So they started dragging me along and I thought, wow, there's a lot more to beer than I imagined. And then um, a friend from my childhood, Steve Mitchell, had suggested one day, oh, I'm going to buy a hops plant from a nursery in Victoria. And he grew that in his front yard and it grew okay. And then he said, look, my um, relatives have a little acreage at Hemant, why don't we approach them and see if they'll um, let us use the space that they're not occupying to grow hops. And That's a very different way to most people that we speak to on this podcast who maybe drank beer, went overseas, discovered that Australian beer wasn't all uh, there, there was, and then decided to come back and get into home brewing. But, you know, you decided to get into growing hops. What was your background or, or your job that led to that? The majority of my working life, I've worked um, for the public service. Um, so up in Cairns, it was the state agricultural department, but it was more in a 
plant pest surveillance and response area, so kind of domestic quarantine. And then after that, I got into federal agriculture, also in the quarantine or biosecurity area. Um, like my father had had a, a hobby farm out at um, Gatton for many years through my childhood, so I'd spent a lot of time around, um, you know, small farms. And similarly with Steve, he's a, um, a civil engineer by trade, but um, in his youth, his father had had a small farm at Ormiston and grew roses and passion fruit. So we kind of touched on farming a little bit, um, but we decided it's too hard to brew um, good beer. And we thought, well, let's do something else that might be a bit easier. So hops was the answer. <laughs> um, it sounds like a little bit similar. I got into beer writing because I didn't like the process of brewing again and again and again and again. Um, but I loved being in and around the industry and uh, writing was something that I could do. Now we'd, um, both of Steve and I had tried um, just brewing from syrups at, at uni, like, you know, the Cooper syrups and just um, fermenting it and did that off and on for a few years. But no, we've never tried brewing from scratch. Some of our friends do it, but it just seems really difficult. So we decided to give that one a miss. <laughs> so with your background in agriculture and your interest in agriculture, was hops an entry into the industry or a way for you to participate in the industry uh, that, that you enjoyed? Yeah, correct. I guess um, we were embracing tasting of the beer, but we just thought it would be nice to move into the actual scene itself. So um, we saw hops as a way of doing that and also we just love a challenge too. And when we'd mentioned to people, oh, yeah, we're going to grow hops, or we've started growing hops here, of course, the most common response was, but you can't grow hops in Queensland. And, you know, responses like that spurred us on even more. Who was saying that to you? Because that was certainly my understanding, or probably more correctly, that you can't grow hops commercially in Queensland. Yeah, that's that's right. Like you can't grow them commercially is, is more accurate. They will grow just about anywhere. They're quite a weedy plant. Um, just lots of uh, random people that we'd meet or friends or even some brewers, we'd tell them, oh, we're growing hops, and they'd say, but you can't grow them here. Um, and we, one of those brewers who, who mentioned that, in our first season where we grew enough um, to give a little bit away, which was 2018, we actually ended up giving him hops and he did a really nice um, single hop Chinook IPA. <laughs> so he went from being, you can't grow hops in Queensland, to, oh, I've just brewed a beer with it and it was quite good. Okay, so 2017 was when you first had a crack at growing uh, with your business partner. Um, actually, I even need to sort of say that. Is it... Is it a business or is it is it more of a hobby? In a legal sense, we've set ourselves up as a business, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. ABN tax file number and all that. But it's it's a oh, I don't know a ho- it's a hobby for us. Like we both have day jobs, so it's not a source of income for us. Um, you know, it's a source of um, debt for us. <laughs> um, so um, it's a hobby business, like a cottage industry, I guess you'd say. So it was 2017 when you and Steve had grown a plant. You'd seen that it actually grew and then you were offered the land um, that you could expand on. Yeah, 2017 was when we'd, we'd grown one plant in his front yard when he was living at Belimba, saw that it grew. And then I think it was 2017 we bought uh, 30 rhizomes from a nursery in Victoria, six varieties, five of each. And that's when we 
started occupying the little um, corner of the yard. It's a quarter acre that we have in Hemet. So, yeah, it would have been 2017 we had 30 plants and they didn't grow terribly well. They were fairly short, didn't throw many cones, had a fairly staggered longer harvest window. But we thought, well, they grow. So in 2018, we expanded again. We started moving through the site. and I think we had about 200 plants then. And that season, similarly, they grew maybe a little bit better, but we still hadn't um, dialed in our farming practices and done enough research to really know how to grow hops. And then the following year, we occupied the whole footprint with around 500 plants. And that's when we started getting our act together. Now, we did a story on you in about March 2019, about two years after you'd started, because uh, I was intrigued about the commerciality of it. And, um, you know, I, I guess you'd only been growing for two years at that stage. And it takes a couple of years for the hops to become established. Is that correct? Yeah, like hops are quite site specific. So wherever you're growing them in the world, you have to work it out for your own site. So some in some areas they establish quicker than others. But as a rule of thumb, people say around three year years before the root base really establishes well, and you start getting um, a full yield. Yeah. I, at that stage, I think you were getting about six hundred grams per plant against an industry average of around about. 2.2 to 2.8 kilos per plant um, based on, on on variety. Is that right? And has that improved? Yeah, it's, it's improved. So commercial farms generally uh, state yield in terms of um, kilos per hectare or pounds per acre, um, whereas because we're so, so small scale, we just do it um, by wet weight per plant because yeah. we're only a, yep. a quarter quarter acre, but we've gone double density. So on a commercial scale, an acre normally has about a thousand plants. Um, we were never going to drive tractors up rows or do anything like that. Everything's done by hand. So we've planted essentially in the inter rows of what would be a commercial farm. So we've got double density planting. But um, yeah, when we kicked off, um, we were only getting yeah, a few hundred grams per plant wet and that's not much at all. And just looking at HPA's figures for their annual harvest, I've done a back calculation and I'm guesstimating for a good plant, it, this is all variety dependent of course, that they might be getting four or five kilos per plant wet. Whereas for us, um, we started out with yeah, a minimal amount. Now, um, dependent on variety, we're ranging from say, 500 grams to one kilo up to about three and a half kilos per plant but we have found that it's really seems to be season dependent like in, just in these last few years for example last year um, our victoria variety was yielding about a kilo wet per plant whereas this season it dropped back to 500 grams and last year chinook was getting up to three and a half kilos i think that's a little bit less this harvest. And what was different this season as compared to last season? We really got things going last year. So we'd seen online and read that um, day length is really important. And um, anecdotally, people said winter dormancy was very important as well, but there's not a lot of literature um, to support that. Anyway, um, I was planning a holiday to the US and it was to go to Yakima Valley at harvest and um, try and get a few farm visits in and visit 
some of the breweries that were doing harvest ales and then I realized hang on I could turn this into a research trip and then I discovered that in Florida which has a very similar climate and day length to Brisbane they were researching hop farming they were, they were just in their infancy so um I met up with another Queensland um, small-scale hop farmer, Rick Humphreys, from out at Possum Lane at Stanthorpe. And, yeah, we did a couple-of-week trip over to the US. So we spent a week in Florida and um, we checked out a number of farms and research facilities and they're all using lights, to mostly to extend day length because they realised that hops probably need more like, say, 16 hours of sunlight in summer, whereas in Brisbane we only get 13 hours, 50, for example, I think up in the Yakima Valley, they, they peak at around close to 16. So just by extending the day length, Florida Uni and the farms, they were showing that they were getting vegetatively um, bigger plants with a higher yield. So that was one of the things that we implemented um, when we came back. But um, at the same time as we were doing that, we just did a lot more research about farming and we started doing soil testing and um, getting agronomist advice and doing um, fertigation through our dripper systems. And um, we have a, a pest scout that comes occasionally to keep on top of the pests and we released, released predatory insects to control them. So we kind of just dialed in a number of variables all in one year. So that was the end of 19 through 20. So last year was when the plants really hit their straps and we started getting a good yield for Brisbane. So you've installed lights and, you know, that's helping you the, the yield and you found that they need the longer day length. But is that almost a sign that it's they shouldn't be grown here or is it something that can be overcome to have them grown here? Um, it, that's a tricky question. So um, just to give you an example of how the plants changed, like I said, without lights, with the day length being a, sh- a bit short, they just seemed to be a bit confused. So they were growing small, yielding a little amount and then their flowering was staggered over, I'd say, a few months. So they'd throw some burrs and then some cones and we'd pick them and then they'd throw more. Um, with the lights, um, you basically trick the plant into believing it's an endless summer because they're triggered by the shortening of the day lengths after summer solstice. So we keep the lights on for, say, three hours extra a day from dusk. Now, when we're happy with their size, we turn the lights off and that triggers flowering. And so within two weeks, the whole of the yard is flowering consistently. So it's so from a commercial sense, you need you need that. Now we bought proper grow bulbs um, with a frequency recommended by Florida Uni, but all the little Florida farms were just using normal off-the-shelf LEDs, so they were quite cheap to do. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's um, a little bit of an upfront expense, and if you went on a huge scale, it would probably be prohibitive. For something like our size, that was infinitely doable, and it's completely changed yeah, our harvest and yield. But I guess, is is it scalable installing lights? Um, you know, like if you're doing it on a quarter acre block, that's fine, and if you're doing it at a hobby level, that's fine. Um, but if you wanted to grow into acres and acres, is that scalable? What what size were the farms that you're looking at in Florida? Uh, most of the yards are small, so only around an acre. So, yeah, we've never seen a big yard with lights, but um, they use lights or they used to use lights and they may still use lights in South Africa. And I think um, 
John Ross from Hopco went over there. I was hearing on one of your previous podcasts, maybe in the 80s, and helped some of the farmers in South Africa with production practices. And I'm pretty sure Lights was part of um, increasing the yield on their farms, which they may still do. I think it's scalable to a point, but if you want to grow hops commercially and have that as your day job and make a living, you wouldn't do it here. You, know, you would move to a region that had the, a good long day length like Victoria or Tasmania, you know, the southern parts of Australia. So I don't, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of tell everyone this is a big moneymaker, you know, start growing hops in Queensland. Like I'd encourage people if they want to do it as a hobby and an interest, go for it because we love it. It's so much fun. But, yeah, commercially not so good. I guess that's where I'm coming from. The craft beer media loves to celebrate, you know, great stories and interesting stories in the industry. But in celebrating them, they can sometimes make them look a little bit different than they are. And, you know, if if this is a hobby, um, you can probably justify a whole lot more expense um, than you can if you're trying to generate an income back from it. So, you know... Um, is it is it something you want to do as a hobby or is it something that you want to do as a commercial enterprise? It's it's a hobby. It's definitely a hobby. <laughs> Although you you did comment like you were surprised when you saw a little harvester that we'd gone to the effort and cost of importing one. Um, so like I said, we both got day jobs and um, we're yeah, we're propping up this business. I guess maybe like a lot of craft breweries, they go into a lot of debt for the initial setup. So on a very small scale, we're kind of in a similar model. But I think where our model differs is a craft brewery has the potential to make a lot more money if they do it well, whereas the potential to actually make money out of hops is is minimal because um, <laughs> while a lot of people express um, admiration and interest, um, including you know, potential clients, brewers and such, um, initially, when it comes harvest time and we do social media posts and we email most of the breweries in Queensland and northern New South Wales just to let them know, we don't get a lot of interest. So, for example, our summer harvest last year, I think we sold to about 12 um, local breweries, some a little bit further afield. And we thought, oh, this is really good. If this is just the start, you know, we assumed naively this can only grow. But so we're at summer harvest again and we've done similar advertising and um, more people know about us now. Like, you know, we did that um, Bean Nipa last year and loads of the local breweries that were involved came out and helped pick. But I think this time around we've probably only had about seven breweries um, do orders and we've got some other orders through homebrew supply shops and things. But it was that was slightly surprising. It's like, oh, like the interest wasn't even sustainable <laughs> at the same level. It's kind of dropped off. So um, a lot of people also say, I, are you going to expand? Um, we would only ever consider expanding if we could sell currently what we're growing. So at the moment for the summer harvest, I think we've probably only sold about half of the crop. So we're still picking at the moment. We've got a few more picks to go. So there's a little bit of fresh stuff available, but whatever we're not selling, we're just drying and we can sell later. So you would sell to home brewers if home brewers got in touch and wanted to have a crack at a fresh hop ale, they could come along and get hops in in, in that sort of quantity. Yeah, yeah. So through social media, we just get messages from um, different home brewers who just come out on pick days, and yeah, they're just grabbing 500 grams or a kilo or something like that. And we've had a few repeat customers last year and this year, and it's um, yeah, really good to see like the enthusiasm 
there's a few reasons I suspect why the product doesn't sell as well as we thought it might. Um, one of them is potentially price, and the other one is um, the brewer's level experience with using whole cane hops, which would be fairly limited in Queensland, and the fact that a lot of people's systems maybe aren't set up to deal with whole cones floating around in their tank. So let's talk a little bit about that. What sort of feedback have you been getting from brewers in terms of the quality of the hops, the flavour and the aroma and the impact that the hops are having on their beers? Uh, generally quite good. Like there's been limited negative feedback. All the, I mean, the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. So we've tasted most of the beers that have been made with our fresh hops and they've all been really good. When we did our first commercial pick last year and sold it, we didn't have a cone analysis at the time because we have to dry samples and then send them off to the US and then wait for the results to come back. So we kind of told people, look, um, we think they're pretty good. We can't give you the certificate of analysis at the time. And they all went off and did their thing. So we've now been getting them analysed in the last two harvests. And yeah, the quality is good. So in general, it's about on spec with um, the, the varieties that are grown in other areas. There's a few um, differences. So in some of the varieties, like Cascade, for example, the alpha acids are quite high. Um, for example, um, a US analysis would be 5 to 9% of acid in the Cascade, whereas we're getting over 10. So I questioned the US lab about that, and they said, no, we, we actually were surprised to and recalibrated the equipment, ran the analysis again. And they said the only thing we can think of is um, some of the cascade we're getting out of Florida, which is also a subtropical climate, has similarly high alphas. So we said it could be a climatic effect. So this is one of the interesting things about hops that, like the craft beer explosion, people all around the world are now setting up little hobby hop farms and they're being grown in non-typical locations. So the data is only just starting to come in on what, what the differences are in those different regions. But, um, yeah, the, the brewers have been, I think, generally happy with the quality of the cones. The challenges more come with um, some of the guys in Brisbane have done, done fresh hop beers before. They've either worked in breweries down south or they've air freighted up HPA hops in um, previous seasons and used them. But a lot of brewers have never used whole cone before. Some brewers have never even seen whole cone hops before, which was surprising for us. I'm, I'm hearing you talk about having to send hops to America to get analysed, and I would imagine that's not an inexpensive process, um, particularly on a small scale, and that would be having an impact on the price of the hops that you have to sell. We did research where we could get it done in Australia, but um, the cost is prohibitive here, so I think the Wine Institute in Adelaide will do acids for uh, the last time I looked, it was, say, $170 a sample, and that's not even the oils. And then there was a lab in Melbourne that quoted $400 per sample, whereas in the US we can get um, acids and oils done for about 50 US. So even with the exchange rate and the small cost of air freight, it's much cheaper to send it off to the US. And you have to do it if you're selling commercially because you've got to know. And I have a high degree of confidence in the labs in the US given there are so many farms over there and this is their bread and butter and they're doing it every day of the week. But I'd imagine that it has an impact on on the cost and how expensive the, uh, the, the, the hops are when you sell them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I guess 
Our, our main aim is we just want to grow as good a, a product as we can here in Queensland. And like I said, it's a hobby. People spend money on a hobby and we thought, well, let's not do it half-baked, let's do it properly. And that's why I mentioned we get soil testing, we do leaf testing sometimes to check the levels of nutrients. We get advice from an agronomist. We have a pest scout come in. We send our samples off. So it's a hobby, but we're trying to run it, you know, as close as we possibly can here to a little commercial enterprise. Um, but actually, we got slightly off track there. I just wanted to mention um, one of the challenges that the brewers face is actually extracting all the goodness they can out of whole cone hops because um, most brewers use pellets, and so when pellets are thrown into the wort, they if they're well made, they pretty much dissolve and just flow through all of the liquid. So you're getting a good extraction, um, whether that be hot side or cold side. So with whole cones, you've got this solid structure. So you've got to decide whether you're going to add it in a big hop soccer bag because maybe you don't want the cones floating loose and blocking up your pipes or are you going to throw it in loose or are you going to shred it or one brewery even mentioned they froze the um, fresh hops with liquid nitrogen and then smashed them up not our hops another order and dispersed them into their brew so people are finding the challenges of oh when i put in like fresh hops or even i think um, dried whole cone it can be a little bit more challenging to extract the goodness so on the hot side for bittering and then on the cold side as a dry hop for you know aroma and flavor so i've seen whole cones come out of brewers tanks and in the hot side there's a little bit of lupulin still left in the cones but on the cold side you can see there's a lot there so that that's another challenge and um, maybe a difficulty for some brewers so um, some brewers just don't want to maybe take on that challenge regularly they might do it once and say oh that's probably enough for me there's a lot more um novelty beers that i can make that are a bit easier and will get you know good marketing and people in how have the brewers responded to the cost uh, well for the guys that most of the guys that ordered they seem to be fine with it but i have had a few conversations with brewers where they've said yeah your cost is a factor because we charge slightly more than um, uh, buying pellets. You know, brewers have told me you can buy beautiful pellets from anywhere in the world for say 35 to 60 bucks a kilo, depending on um, the popularity and the scarcity of the variety. Um, whereas if say we're drying ours down, we'll charge $80 a kilo. Um, it's just such a labour-intensive process for us and we thought we just don't want to give it away and we'll just come in at that price point and see what the market tells us. Um, for fresh, we for, for brewers that do a reasonable order, we're selling about $40 a kilo and I think that's kind of comparable to if you bought HPA fresh hops and had them air freighted up. But I guess the beauty of buying ours is um, you're getting them, you know, same day of pick literally within a few hours of pick. But um, the other factor um, for brewers to consider is if they go to someone like HPA, they can get, um, you know, interesting novel um, varieties that are proprietary, whereas um, little farms like us, we can only grow open source varieties. So we're growing stuff that, you know, the USDA has developed years ago or old English varieties. So I guess that's a factor for brewers too. You know, do they want to brew with something open source like... Um, 
Cascade, Columbus, Centennial, or do they want to stick, you know, with something more sexy like, um, you know, Mosaic or Galaxy? That interests me a little bit with craft brewers really focusing on the story and the narrative behind their beers and their stories being we're more expensive but we're smaller and there are benefits that come with that. I thought they might have embraced uh, a small local hop grower as adding to that story and that you know understanding that higher expense in their own beers and using that to tell the story behind the beer. Yeah, we thought so too. And maybe we're not marketing experts. So like I said, we do social media posts and we email most of the breweries within um, the region. But one brewer we sold to this season was saying, that's probably not good enough. You probably need to actually start ringing every brewery, find out who the owner or the head brewer is, talk to them, you know, get them engaged, bring them out for a look at the farm and kind of, yeah, do a bit more intensive advertising to get your story and your product out there. Um, Maybe naively we thought the product would just sell itself. So that's something we can certainly work on. So the brewers that have used them have embraced the storytelling aspect of of using your hops? Yeah, like in all all the social media posts, um, as with any new beer they advertise, they're definitely selling, you know, Hilltop hops, local Brisbane hops, fresh harvest ale, all of that. So it's it's definitely a marketing and sales point to get people in. Let's talk about some of the other aspects of the agronomics. You talked about the pest control insects. Um, do you have more of any, or did you have issues with things like uh, spotted mite or some of the other insects that any grower has a problem with? And is it worse growing it out of the defined locations? Yeah, pests are specific to every region, so I'm not certain um, how different the pest um, diversity is up here compared to down south. In general, the further you go north in Australia when you're heading into the tropics, the more and more insects you get. So in theory, I would say maybe we have more pests, but we, we may not because there could be more temperate climate insects that we don't have. Our two main pests here to date have been spider mites and um, they suck the sap out of the leaves and basically just take all the goodness out of the plant so the sap plant will become stunted and it won't throw cones or it'll destroy very small cones. So we manage spider mites by releasing predatory mites and then we have a, another pest called cluster caterpillar which chews the leaves and there's a spray you can get from Bunnings which is just a bacterial spray which stops the caterpillar from eating the leaves. It just basically loses its appetite. So they're the main pests we have here. But in Australia, we're quite lucky. Um, in the US and other countries, they have a couple of pathogens that are specific to hops, so hop um, powdery and downy mildew. So if you grow in the US in a in a more um, humid region, you'll have a lot of um, mildew pressure, so you have to spray fungicides all the time. So thankfully, fingers crossed in Australia, we've never gotten those pathogens. So what, what's your feeling? What's next? You know, you're halfway through the 2021 harvest. Um, are, are you feeling that you're going to keep going? Are you looking to expand? What What, what are your thoughts? Uh, we'll just continue as is for now. And like I said, if we were very easily in future able to um, sell everything that we grew at that point we would consider um, are we over this hobby now or do we actually 
um, lease a little bit of land or buy a bit of land in future and expand because importing that little harvester has freed us up from having to have, you know, the brewer bring out 10 volunteers and do a pick. <laughs> now now we can just harvest with me, Steve, and a friend, so three people, which has made it, um, yeah, really much more pleasant um, to get through the season. Let's talk a little bit about the infrastructure you've had to install because hops aren't just like growing a lemon tree in your backyard. You've got the the, the, the trellising, you've got the drying sheds, you've got uh, you know the you've even invested in a picker. So when you have the the binds, it strips the uh, the, the, the cones off uh, rather than having to do it manually. Yes, it does. <laughs> last last summer, we, our harvest was two weeks, and the brewers would come out each day to help us pick. So most of the brewers were only there on one occasion, some two, where they would do a hot side and cold side addition, so two picks. But um, after two weeks of picking, hand picking, I was getting RSI, and at that <laughs> point, we just said this is not sustainable. So we just started looking online for little manual harvesters, and eventually settled on this little unit called a Bime 3060, which um, is good for just farms of up to a few acres. And it was um, the machine was developed and fabricated in the US. And so we just found a second-hand one and imported um, that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's probably um, been our most costly expense to purchase. But, you know, we'll do a few harvests and within the next few years we'll, we'll pay that off. And um, as a point of principle, it's it's a hobby, but we want to get to the point where we cover all of our costs. We'll probably never really recover our labour, or eventually we might start recovering a couple of dollars an hour if that. But yeah, we just want to cover all the costs for you know fertiliser and equipment and everything. And I guess that's true of anything that we do. You know, we've got garages filled with golf equipment or fishing equipment or home brewing equipment um, that we spend a lot of pursuing a hobby that takes us out of our day to day existence. And I guess. If you can do something like that and uh, get the reward but get some uh, money back on it, it's not a bad thing. Yes, yes, I look forward to that day. <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't yet? No, oh, no, no. It'll be, it'll be another year or two yet before we recover all of our costs. So we're definitely operating in the red. Like I said, <laughs> we're a miniature version of a startup, like a little yeah. brewery. You go into debt and then eventually you hope that you get in the black. Hey, I just wanted to mention another concept. So – because I've been really interested in hops and um, just following, um, you know, your podcast and others over the last few years, I, I listen about what's going on in the rest of the world with um, brewing and hop growing. So the US is a good model for us. And I can see that over the years, hop growing as on a small scale has become really popular in the US. Um but I can also see online people are like getting out of their hobby hop farming and selling their equipment, you know, probably for the same reason we discovered it's it's a sexy thing to get into. It's a it's an agricultural industry that a lot of non-traditional farmers will get into just because, hey, this is cool, hop growing, let's do it. But then, then they discover the commercial reality and the commercial reality seems to be that, you know, if you're HPA or, or if you're um, a family-owned um, business like Yakima Chief Hops with all, all the farms up there in Washington, you might have six generations of farming experience and you've got you know millions and millions of dollars of infrastructure set up and you've got the scale. Like the first farm I visited in Yakima was um, Carpenter Ranches and that was 1,500 acres, which is the entire hop production of Australia on one farm. 
Um, so they can operate um, at such a high level of efficiency that they can sell their product cheaply all around the world. And then, and they've got all, they're developing all these proprietary varieties, which are very sexy and they're great marketers at getting those products out there. And then you look at the small scale farmers who can only grow publicly available varieties. And um, a lot of small scale farms probably don't pelletize either because that's another step and another expense. So it's like, oh, I thought this would be really good and I'm growing these hops and, oh, but there's not a lot of interest. And, oh, everybody <laughs> wants me to sell them for the same price as, you know, the big farms. Oh, that's a bit tough. Look, it's funny you say that because I know, I know that we've dwelled a little bit on the economics of the industry because, you know, sometimes, as you say, the industry is very sexy and it draws people in um, that they can be a little bit more <laughs> engaged in hop growing than they are, for example, potato farming because it seems a glamorous industry but then again you know pete and i get a bit of a thrill when people come up and say to us look you saved us from you know getting invested in, in the industry based on that alone and not getting caught up in the romance of the industry but having said that what is it like to go into a bar and try beer that you've grown the hops for it's heaven that's that's why we're doing it like to walk in the first time i walked into a bar and drank um, one of our, our beers with one of our hops in it. I think it was um, Bacchus at Capella Bar. And um, it was amazing, like, to sit at the bar and see a decal that says, um, you know, Hilltop Chinook and drink that beer and then the beer is good. Um, yeah, it's just such a sense of achievement and pride. And, you know, that's why we do it. We do it a bit for the ego and to kind of get into the industry a bit as you know, non-industry people and the challenge. Um, and, we, yeah, we just enjoy everything about it, and that's that's why we do it. Well, I think that's as good a place to uh, leave this as uh, anywhere. Um, Andrew Carson from Hilltop Hops, thank you very much for joining us for this conversation. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. And that was Andrew Carson. If you're a brewer or home brewer and would like to find out how to get your hands on some Hilltop Hops, be quick, they're being harvested right now, or have a chat now and express your interest for next year. Andrew is a recipient of a Yeti Rambler mug to keep his beers cold as he's outstanding in his field, or in his case, his hop yard. And Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cry is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they're also the proud sponsors of Brews News Week. 